Okay, we're going to continue our study through the Old Testament. We're up to 2 Samuel chapter 21. We're going to see today uh, the Lord trying to get people's attention, so that might be something he's going to do with us. Maybe that's why he called you and me here today. He's going to try to get our attention. Uh, we'll also see the Lord dealing with covenants and things that he has, uh, that we have committed to and he's going to hold us to. So we'll see that as we get here as well. Let's jump into Second uh, Samuel chapter 21. It says, Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. So the story starts out on a run. That's why we didn't have to do much of a background on this. He just takes you right into it here. So the Lord said here that in the, in the even further back in the Old Testament, and we studied this some time back, that he was going to use a famine in the promised land to punish Israel if they disobeyed him. And I want you to see this in Leviticus 26. It's a good reminder for us that uh, this is the way the Lord set things up. He put some markers in place for the folks there because uh, he did want to get their attention and let them know when they're off the right path. And I believe the Lord does that in our life too. In uh, Leviticus 26, if you look down to verse 3, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, so if they obey the Lord, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Now jump down in the same passage to verse 18. After all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. Boy, how'd you like to try to plant some seeds in that? And your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. So the Lord was saying, there will be no rain. The, the skies will be hard. The ground will be hard. Uh, you won't even be expecting any rain because it's not going to be coming. And the Lord let him know that. So uh, as he explained that to them before they entered the promised land, he wanted to bless them with abundance, which he said earlier in that Leviticus 26 passage, and that meant the rains would come on the right time, that the land would drink in the water and the moisture, and it would make a rich produce for the Israelites. But the Lord also warned them that if they disobeyed him, then he's going to withhold the rain and their crops would not produce. So from that time on, when you're, you're reading in the Old Testament and you see in the background that there is a drought or a famine going on in the promised land, then it tells you that Israel was not walking in obedience to the Lord during that time period. So that's already been set up a long time ago in the law before they ever got into the promised land. So we're talking a few hundred years in the past that was already laid out by the Lord. Now with that in mind, I'm surprised that it apparently went on, this famine we have in our passage today went on for three years before David sought the Lord about it, you know. Uh, don't get me wrong, I mean, I'm sure glad that David did seek the Lord over this. That was a good thing. I'm just kind of curious why it took him three years to figure it out. 
But then I guess it might be like us, you know, it's pretty easy sometimes to uh, lose the sight of the fact that there are spiritual things going on around us all the time, and we can get busy with our jobs, our daily routines, and we get distracted, you know, from the truth that there is a spiritual realm that we live in, even though it's invisible, and it's there just as real as the earthly realm that we see every day that is visible. But for whatever reason, you know, David and all Israel, I assume, just figured that they were going through a rough time when they just weren't getting enough rain. And thankfully, the day came when David finally had the thought that, hey, I wonder if there might be a spiritual reason why we're having this drought, so I'd better ask the Lord about it. So praise the Lord, that day did come, but it's amazing it was going into the third year when uh, it finally hit him that, hey, there's something going on here I need to talk to the Lord about. You know, maybe the Lord's trying to get our attention today too. Is there something going on in any of our lives where we might see it kind of as a drought? Has anything seemed to dry up at home or maybe at work or maybe even in the time that we're spending with the Lord on a daily basis? If you sense a dryness in any area of your life, maybe the Lord has been trying to get your attention. If so, then make a time to get alone with the Lord and ask him if he's been trying to speak to you. He's gonna be faithful to let you know. you know. But I'm assuming that he's waiting for us to ask him because that's what he did in the passage here. It's kind of interesting. He didn't send a Nathan the prophet to speak to David about this. He waited for David to figure it out. And then David came to him and he asked the Lord. Kind of interesting the way the Lord works. He's, he's very mysterious in the way he does things sometimes, but he wants to communicate with us, that we know for sure. And in the passage here, back in 2 Samuel 21, it sounds like David barely had to ask him, you know. Uh, it says there that David inquired of the Lord and, and the Lord answered. <laughs> so he barely had to ask and the Lord answered him right away. And he told David that the Lord had an issue with what Saul did when he was king. So you notice that the Lord, the Lord clearly said it was because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house. Well, I just like to have that reputation in your family, you know. So it wasn't just Saul, but there were some other relatives he brings into this, okay? They were involved in it too. So the Lord gave even more specific details when it was said that Saul and his relatives had been killing the Gibeonites. So he didn't just leave it like, I had a problem with these guys. Saul did something bad. You figure it out. <laughs> no, he told him he was involved in killing the Gibeonites. So the Lord's going to tell us more about these people, the Gibeonites, in, in verse 2. So go on here, and it says in uh, verse 2 here, So the king called the Gibeonites, and he spoke to them. Now, before the Lord tells us more about the Gibeonites, he's going to explain more in verse 2. But before that, you know, it, he tells us here that David got a hold of the Gibeonites that were still alive and survived. He got a hold of them right away. Now, I think that is so cool to see David trying to get things right with the Lord immediately. You know, he doesn't appear to wait or let some time pass before he, he gets it gets right with the Lord. He wants to settle all this stuff. He wants to get things square with the Lord. Uh, he, he wants to get past this. He knows there's a problem. The Lord's pointed it out. So he doesn't appear to wait and let any kind of time go by before he does something about it. He knows, too, the danger of this drought. You know, this is their livelihood. If they don't have that, they're not going to have food. The animals aren't going to have food. It's a serious situation. So the people need food to start growing. 
So David does not delay at all in trying to fix this problem that was causing the bad drought. And at the same time, he's going to be making things right with the Lord because the Lord was the one causing the drought here, and he was doing it to get their attention. All right? So you go on to the rest of verse 2. It says, David called the Gibeonites. He spoke to them. Now he says, the Gibeonites were not the children of Israel. So these are not Israelites. It's not one of the tribes. He said, but they're of the remnant of the Amorites. And the Amorites were supposed to be wiped off the land, right? It says the children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and for Judah. So if you remember about 400 years earlier, while Joshua was bringing the Israelites in and conquering the land in the promised land there, the Gibeonites were afraid that their number was going to come up one day and Joshua was going to come and wipe them out. So they came up with a plan, the Gibeonites did, and they, they decided to try to deceive the Israelites. They wanted to make them think that there were actually a people group that was outside of the promised land. So the Jews don't have to worry about them, is what he was trying to, to get across. So without taking the time to seek the Lord about this, Joshua agreed to protect them and not to kill them. He made a covenant with them. Now afterwards, they found out that the Gibeonites had tricked them but Joshua had made a mistake too because he didn't seek the Lord about this before he made a decision to make a covenant with them. So nevertheless, it appears that the Lord was holding Israel to keep the oath that they had made to the Gibeonites, which was a long time ago, and even though it was made under deceitful circumstances. So think about that. We get a few things from this. First of all, God expects us to keep our vows and our oaths that we make, no matter how much time passes after we have made them. If we made an open vow with no time period, then we are expected by God to keep that vow, regardless of how much time passes. Another thing we see here, God expects us to keep our vows even if they were made under deceptive circumstances, because that's what happened back then. I mean, you can see somebody justifying that. I guess Saul probably was one of them who said, hey, this was a long time ago and they deceived us. Man, that's a bad thing to do. That's evil. So it's okay for us to wipe them out. And he was just zealous to want to fight and beat everybody up in the name of Israel and think he was doing the right thing. But the Lord expected them to respect the covenant that they had made, even hundreds of years later. Wow. Even though it was under deception. So... This shows us how extremely important vows are to the Lord. You know, he was going to keep this dangerous drought in David's life until David did something to make things right. That's serious. So the Lord definitely does, he does not take vows lightly at all. You know, he's not like us. We seem to say, oh, take it or leave it. No. The Lord says, if you gave your word, if you made a covenant, you made a vow, you will stick by that. Wow, it's, it's tough stuff. So this might be a good wake-up call for us today. You know, it's interesting, too. Somebody said this. When Joshua got tricked into making that deal with the Gibeonites, he was looking at the outward, the flesh, rather than seeking the Lord. Man, can that get us in trouble? <laughs> if we just look at the outside and make our call based on what we see, rather than calling on the Lord and saying, Lord, is there stuff we don't see that we need to know that you can help us with? And look here at the long-term consequences that were happening because of that mess up by Joshua. 
You know, boy, that should cause us to be more careful in, in seeking the Lord about things before we just do what we think is right. There's a deceiver out there, you know. He's trying to get us to trip up too. And that guy is the devil, of course. So Lord, help us to check things out and check with you all the time and not to lean on our own understanding. What a mess. So when we look from God's perspective at what Saul did to these Gibeonites, Saul and his family members were committing murder. They had already vowed, Israel had to vow to protect these people. So these were, they were actually committing murder by doing this. And the murders they committed, they had not been brought to justice, and that caused the land to become defiled. So now God was judging them. Look how much time he allowed to pass through. David's been king for a number of years, and now the Lord's saying, it's gone on long enough. You guys need to deal with something here. So what do you think that means for our country? You know, we allow the murder of thousands of innocent babies every day in our country. So how defiled is our land, and how long is the Lord going to wait before he judges us here in the United States? You know, as we can see in our passage today, this is a huge thing with the Lord. I think another reason the Lord was so upset about this was because of how it made him look to outsiders. If God's people broke a covenant that they had made and ended up murdering people that they had promised to protect, it would give the appearance that their God doesn't always keep his covenant promises. That reflects on the Lord. And the Lord despises having an evil reputation especially one that he didn't have anything to do with in causing it, right? So we need to be careful too. You know, we're God's representatives as we live in this world. And unfortunately, the church that belongs to Christ today hasn't always done a good job of keeping up the Lord's reputation, at least not in our country anyway. You know, you can talk to some business owners and say, hey, do you do any business with Christians or churches? They'll probably say, no, we don't. (laughs) They don't keep their part of the bargain there. Wow, not a good thing. The Lord is not pleased. So let's go back to verse 3 here. It says, Therefore David said to the Gibeonites, he's, he's talking to them now, What shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement? He's saying, What do I need to do to make this right? He says that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord. He's talking about Israel being the inheritance of the Lord. So he's saying, What is it that I need to do, guys? I want the Gibeonites to be at peace with us, and to be in good standing with Israel again. So you guys have a good word to say about Israel, not, not a bad word. So verse four, it says, And the Gibeonites said to him, We will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house. Don't want the money. Nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. So he said, whatever, and then David answers, So whatever you say, I'll do for you. So they're not going to accept money. Guess what? Money doesn't always solve the problem, <laughs> you know. For some reason, in our country, we're, we're kind of fed that one, that you just need more money. That doesn't always take care of things. And they don't want anyone killed, basically murdered in Israel over this. They're not saying, we just want you to kill some folks there because you killed some of our folks. But David assures him, you know, he's going to do whatever he can to fix this. So they just need to let him know what would it take. So verse 5, then they answered the king, As for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel. 
So notice how they, they saw this. I mean, they said that Saul was consuming them. It means he was eating them up. And they said he was plotting against us. So they knew Saul was making plans to completely wipe them all out. And we don't have that story in the scriptures other than the reference here. But somehow, the Lord must have stepped in and stopped Saul and his men before they got finished with the job. At least the way, that's the way it looks because the Gibeonites, there's some Gibeonites that survived this. So verse 6, here's what they said. Let seven men of his descendants, of the descendants of Saul, be delivered to us. And we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will give them. So then they asked for these seven guys, and they were all descendants of Saul, is what they wanted, and they're going to execute them before the Lord, it says here. So they were seeking divine justice over this. They were not going against the Lord in this because it says they were going to do this before the Lord, okay? So they weren't trying to hide this thing from God at all. You know, they, they knew that this was the just thing to do. This is going to be justice in what they take care of here. So verse 7 says, but the king spared, so he's, David said he's going to hand over these guys, but he spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. So David here, he remembered, you know, that he had made an oath with Jonathan before the Lord. And what's cool about this, David's a man who remembers his oaths and he keeps them. Man, that really stands out when you get a story like this going on, right? And it kind of keep in the back of your mind here that this Mephibosheth that he's, he's granting grace to and setting him aside so he's not included in this number of seven who are going to be executed, Mephibosheth was lame in his feet, okay? So it would be basically impossible for him to be involved in any kind of military attack against any group of people, you know, like the Gibeonites, for instance, here. So that might have something to do with what we're going to see here in just a few minutes. Look at verse 8. So the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth, and this is a different guy than the one that was the son of Jonathan. It says the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Michal, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Methalite. So this guy, Mephibosheth, he's a different one. And this Rizpah that mentioned here, she was one of Saul's concubines. And where it says uh, Michal, the daughter of Saul here, that's probably a translation error. It should probably say Merib, and you may have a footnote on that. She was another daughter of Saul. Because this Michal that was a daughter of Saul, that, that's the one he gave to David to marry. And if you remember, it says that she died without having any, any children there. So this isn't her kids. I think they just messed up somehow on, on putting that down. And uh, I understand that the Latin translation of the Old Testament does have that corrected in there. So verse 9, it says, <clears throat> excuse me, David, now he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the hill, and notice here, before the Lord. So they fell, all seven together, and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. So these guys did what they said they were going to do. They executed them before the Lord. 
Now, there's some interesting things going on here, you know. First of all, the Lord doesn't condemn David for handing these guys over. And the Lord does end the drought, which we will see in a little bit. Also, God's law clearly stated that you were not to put a son to death for the sins of the father. So look at Deuteronomy 24 here. This is another one. It helps to, to get the background on this. Deuteronomy chapter 24. If you want to see this, there's a little bit more in the verse that applies here too. Deuteronomy 24 and verse 16, it says, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. Okay? So with these things in mind, it seems very possible that these seven guys who were executed here were actually involved in the killings that Saul did against the Gibeonites. And if that's true, and it appears to be the case here, then this was a true picture of justice that took place. You know, because David's not going to break the law. He's not going to say, well, it's okay to break the law of God to take care of this problem. No, David's not that kind of guy. So if he did this, these guys probably were guilty and they were healthy enough. Like I said, Mephibosheth, he was lame. He probably wasn't going to fight anybody. You know, he can't even stand probably long enough to, to attack and fight somebody. So he wasn't involved, I don't believe at all. But his other relatives there, they were, from what we can tell. So the murders now, they've been brought to justice and the land was cleansed. And that would explain why the Lord lifted the drought that was on the land. The land was no longer defiled because justice had been taken, uh, had happened here. So we see here too that justice is a huge thing with the Lord, just like keeping our oaths is huge with the Lord. You know, our country needs to repent, huh? Because they take both of these things too lightly, I feel, you know? Go on here back in 2 Samuel uh, 21, look down to verse 10. Now Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock. From the beginning of harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. So Rizpah, the, the concubine of King Saul, had, had lost some sons here. So she's in mourning for her sons, and she's trying to protect their bodies from being attacked by any birds or any animals of prey here, you know. So we see the real love of a mother right here, you know. Uh, from my understanding, as it gave us a time period of how long she was there, that's about a five-month span, you know. So it must have been very hard for her to watch the bodies of her, her children deteriorate over that time. But she was faithful to stay there. And you know, it's just a shame that she couldn't keep them from bringing this judgment on themselves in the first place. Wow. And you notice too that it says she did this until the late rains poured on them from heaven. If the rains came, then that means the drought ended. So this act of justice worked, and the Lord released the rains to come down from heaven. Amazing picture here. So verse 11, David was told what Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done. 
Then David went and he took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh Gilead, who had stolen them from the street of Bethshan. Remember, they had the bodies hanging up there. It says where the Philistines had hung them up after the Philistines had struck down Saul in Gibeah. So David here, he brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there. And they also gathered the bones of those who had been hanged here as a judgment for attacking the Gibeonites. Uh, then they buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin and Zila, in the tomb of Kish, his father. So they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God heeded the prayer for the land. I want us to notice something here. <clears throat> Excuse me. The loving act of this woman, Rizpah, it had an influence on David. When he heard of how dedicated and how faithful she was to her sons who had died, it moved him to gather the bodies of Saul and Jonathan, the bones of them, and the bones also in the bodies of the seven men who were executed by the Gibeonites. And he gave them a decent burial in the tomb that belonged to their family. And at that time, you know, if you were going to honor a person's body after their death, you would bury them in the family's tomb right there in their homeland. And that's just what David did for them. But that was all due to the loving devotion of a woman here, of a mother. It's beautiful. So ladies, don't ever think that your loving acts of devotion ever go unnoticed. Because even if nobody else sees, the Lord's watching. He knows. And don't ever think your acts of kindness that you do for your families can't have an impact on somebody else. You know, the Lord might allow your actions to influence other people to step up and do the right thing. Just like David did here. And please, don't listen to the enemy when he puts thoughts in your mind and tries to tell you that what you're doing for your family isn't valuable at all. It's extremely valuable for your family and for whoever the Lord might influence through you. And we're told here at the end of verse 14 that God listened now to the prayers of the people they've been praying for the land. Wow. If a nation will just repent, God will listen to the prayers for the land. So divine justice here had been satisfied, so the Lord was answering the prayers of his people, and he brought an end to the famine. What a lesson for us. You know, we want to get anything out of our life that's causing our prayers to go unanswered. It's such an awesome thing to see when you can pray, and then you get to see the Lord directly answer your prayer. Isn't that a wonderful thing to witness? Wow. So 15, 15, verse 15 goes on. When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, these guys are still around, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. So we see David getting weaker here. He's older now, and he still wants to go out to fight the Lord's battles and be alongside of his men, but his age is catching up with him. And he, he doesn't have the strength and stamina that he did as a young man. You know, we do find, start to find that too as we get older. Our body doesn't do everything it used to do when we were younger. That's a hard thing for us to accept too, right? But that time is coming for every one of us if the Lord tarries. 
So mentally prepare yourself for those days that are coming. <laughs> Unless the rapture happens before then, we will all see those days, you know. And another lesson we get from this too is that when we get to the point like David did when he was just not strong enough to do it all, then we need to allow others to take care of some of our responsibilities. That can be very humbling, but it's a wise thing to do. And David apparently listened to his men here. We don't see him in harm's way in the front of a battle anymore. So it was the right thing to do. Verse 16 goes on. Then Ishbi Benob, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. He had it in his head that he could take him out. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. So this guy who thought he could kill David, he was one of the sons of Goliath. That's who the giant was that they mentioned here. And we're kind of told that this guy was a huge, powerful man, too, his bronze spear weighed about seven and a half pounds. Wow, that's a heavy spear. And to think that you're going to throw that through the air and actually do some damage, that's, that's pretty tough. So he must have been pretty big, okay? But before this guy could get to David, thank the Lord, one of David's commanders, Abishai, remember he's the brother of Joab, he killed the giant and he saved David's life. David's men, you know, they were very upset when they saw this happen and they realized David could have easily lost his life here if Abishai wasn't sharp and caught this before it took place. So they strongly told David he shouldn't go out to battle with them anymore. You know, they called David here the lamp of Israel. Wow. They're referring to the light of the Lord, you know, that was shining through David and it was not only an encouragement to Israel, but he was also a shining example for the people to follow once he was walking with the Lord. David's men didn't want Israel to lose such a good leader and such a godly example. So they're wisely saying, don't do this anymore. And thank the Lord, it appears that he listened. So verse 18, now it happened afterward that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibichai, the Hushathite killed Saph, who was one of the sons of the giant. Got another son here. Again, there was war at Gob with the Philistines, where Elhanan, the son of Jair Orgim, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittite. And this is supposed to be the son. It's the relative is the term. I don't know why they translate the brother here. That's the son of Goliath, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Yet again, there was war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature, who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. Imagine that guy coming at you, and he's huge already to begin with, 24 in number. And he also was born to the giant. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, killed him. So this is David's nephew. These four were born to the giant in Gath. So they're all sons of Goliath. And they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So all these giants mentioned here, they ended up being the four sons of Goliath. And when David's men killed them all, that ended a reign of terror from these guys. 
Can you imagine seeing these guys at war with you? Mercy sakes, that would shake you up a little bit. So they were scary and they were intimidating, but Israel didn't have to fear these guys anymore. They were taken out by David first when he killed Goliath and now by his men. So they were taken care of. And, And seeing this here, it might answer why David picked up five stones when he took on Goliath. You know, he only needed one stone for Goliath because David was a really good shot. But when he chose five stones, it's very possible he was thinking one for Goliath and one for each of his sons. <laughs> that would make sense, too, because it'd be normal for the sons to want to avenge their father after David killed him. So if the opportunity came up, David was prepared to finish the problem before it had a chance to ever get started. Okay. Um, Let's get started a little bit on chapter 22, just a little bit, because we'll just kind of introduce it. Uh, there's some stuff here that is really good for us to see and give you time to chew on this a little bit, then we'll come back, Lord willing, next time and dig in further. Chapter 22, verse 1, Then David spoke to the Lord with the words of this song, on the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So this, this psalm that David's going to bring up here, it was probably written earlier in David's life, Uh, it mentions that the Lord had delivered him from Saul. So it was probably when David had been king at the beginning, but he wasn't king very long at that point. At this point here, as he's looking back over his life and where the Lord's brought him to at this point, he wants to be sure and bring out some very important things about his life and what the Lord has done for him and what he's done through him. And I like what somebody said about this. David wanted people to know that none of his earthly success was because of him. It wasn't that he was so special or so unique. Everything that turned out good in his life was all because of the Lord. He directs all the praise to God. Man, the Lord did a great thing in choosing David, you know, because he doesn't take any credit. (laughs) I, I imagine he looks back over his life and thought, you know, I was just a shepherd boy minding my own business out in the field. And look what God has done with my life. Wow. Verse 2, he says this as he starts out. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. David saw the Lord as his rock, and that meant that, that God held David in place and he made him immovable. When other forces were trying to get him to move and back up and run, and he was able to stand wherever the Lord had him to stand. He said that God was his fortress David knew that he was safe when he ran to the Lord and that nobody could get him unless the Lord allowed it. Remember how many times Saul got really close to him and couldn't touch him? Yeah. He also calls the Lord his deliverer. David knew that it wasn't his own power or wisdom that kept him safe. He knew it was the Lord who delivered him over and over again. And we can take all these things to heart too. You know, God is our rock He makes us immovable. He's our deliverer. You know, he's the one who delivered us from our sins. He continues to wash our feet from the daily sins we commit in the world. And he continually keeps us clean before him. He's our fortress. He's the one that we can run to when we need to feel safe. You know, the Lord is all these things for us too. In verse 3, he says, The God of my strength and whom I will trust. David knew where the strength came from in his life. He gives God the credit for that. And he said that the Lord is someone you can fully trust in. And he is, amen? 
goes on in verse three then, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He refers to God as his shield. You know, he acknowledged that it was God who protected him in battle. <laughs> he knew it wasn't the shield he carried. He said, God is the one who's protected my life, even at the battlefield. And when he mentions the horn here, that refers to strength, might, and power. And David knew that his salvation wasn't based on anything having to do with himself. His salvation was based on the strength, the might, and the power of God Almighty. What a beautiful praise. And it goes on in verse three, my savior, he says, my stronghold, I'm sorry, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, you saved me from violence. So he says his stronghold. David knew that when he was fighting for the Lord, nothing or no one could stop him. He was his refuge, he says, that's my Lord. He knew that God was the one who was his shelter, his protection. You know, David had some close calls, but God was there for him every single time. And then when he called him my savior, David's calling the Lord his personal savior. You know, there were times that David was completely surrounded by violence, people chasing him, people wanting to kill him, and the Lord rescued him from every one of them. He said, he is my savior. You notice something too, in just this part we looked at here, and we'll stop at this point, but how many times here the Lord says he is my, right? He says he's my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my strength, my shield, the heart of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. It shows his personal relationship with the Lord. And he wants to let everybody know that this is what God meant to him. Because this is personal, he's letting people know too that this is his personal testimony. He witnessed these things himself. He didn't just hear these things from somebody else's testimony, but he experienced them in his own life. And those are things that only happen by having a walk of faith, okay? Heard a statement this week on the radio, and I've been using it all week because it's been a really powerful statement. This guy said, do you wanna see the world? Then walk by sight. But if you wanna see the hand of God at work in your life, then walk by faith. Man, that was a good statement. So like I said, we'll stop here, pick it up next time. This is a very, very powerful uh, testimony of David here. We'll get to see more, Lord willing, as we get a chance next time to dig in further. But uh, be encouraged today, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for watching over us. And Lord, we thank you for the times that you use us. Lord, please help us to stay available to you. Please don't let us be distracted by the world, by the things of the world, by the enemy. Help us, Lord, to have strong conviction in our life that if we take a step off the path going the wrong direction, Lord, that you'll, you'll bring us right back by the conviction and the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for everybody here and everybody who's listening to us. Lord, I just pray that you would bless each one and help us to stand for Christ because you are our strength, Lord. You are our fortress. And we just wanna give you the praise for that. If someone is listening, they don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Today, Lord, I ask you to help them to, to stop and to think that they have a need for a Savior. They're a sinner. They're headed for the eternal fires of, of the lake of fire. And without Jesus, they're in serious trouble. So Lord, I pray today, wake them up. Let them see they need Jesus. 
and let them stop and ask Jesus to come in their life and thank him for the sacrifice he made for them on the cross and to fully receive Christ for their salvation. So Lord, we give you back all praise for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.